Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Welcome to episode 318. Uh, continuing along uh, uh, our episodal theme of the beginning of or development of English furniture, um, English woodwork. So uh, this episode is going to be based on Gothic furniture, how Gothic furniture was developed in Old England. Posterity has created styles by such processes of segregation, by ignoring those examples which led up to the full development of a manner, and which also serve as bridge pieces in the decline and connect the one with the next. The statement is literally true. Therefore, that there never was a new style in building decoration, or furniture. Nothing but a gradual evolution of design. One fashion merging into another, almost imperceptibly. It is well to remember this, even when, for the sake of clearness of comprehension, it may be necessary to treat such each style as though it were a separate entity, and it's not. And we see that by even from country to country, who somewhat steals as the Americans or the American colonies did or the Americans did of British and French styles. Uh, um, there was a 20-year lag from Britain to America, stylistic lag. So what was being built in America at a certain point in the 18th century was out of vogue in England. So, um, and... You know, a lot of the Americans, because of the isolationism attitude that was in America at that point, would say, well, like the block and shell furniture from Newport, Rhode Island, was totally in, indigenous to that region of, of North America, of the colonies. But yet England, 20, 30 years later, had, earlier, had done block furniture, and they had certain shells that were very similar. So it's no different. These were just copying. It's almost like in America... Almost every uh, every town, hamlet, city has an English origin to its name. So let's get back on track. So it is it is almost impossible to understand the Gothic without visualizing both its origin and its development, and also appreciating the cardinal principles of the style itself. Many theories have been adduced as to the former none of which bear the stamp of probability. The possibility that the Gothic, or the pointed style, to give it probably a much more appropriate name, may have arisen simultaneously in various countries, and has escaped notice hitherto in spite of the importance such a fact would acquire, could it be established. The high regard in which the circle was held and from very early times, as typifying eternity, especially in primitive religions, would engender some method of describing the circle with some degree of accuracy. The ancient Druid rites were always held in a circle, either drawn on the ground or built in trithalons or at Stonehenge at Avesbury. To insert a central peg in the ground attach a cord with a marking peg at the end, and by walking around the central pivot point, 
with the cord stretched to its full extent. Thus, to describe an accurate circle would be quite the easy discovery. From the cord and peg to be hinged, compass or divider would be the next transition. Now let us examine the potentialities of such an instrument. From circle to semicircle to two half circles side by side and so to intersecting circles would be only progressive steps that we can obtain or ascertain at this point. So we obtain in this interlacing the pointed arc of the Gothic, a new form for the stonemason to behold. Now a few words are perhaps in order as to the value of this new form. The tribeted or the lintel architecture of the Greeks had been superseded by the arch of the Romans. But even with the latter, any height to the keystone demanded a width of approximately twice the height. Medieval cathedrals in England were built nearly always on restricted sites on the top of the hill as at Dorm or in a fen as the at Eli. They were constructed with regard to defensive possibilities as well as to worship, as a sanctuary would avail little against the foreign invader. Majesty demanded height, which, with the acuted style, a restricted site would interdict. The advantages of the pointed arch produced possibly haphazard by the user of the compass must have been strikingly apparent to the medieval mason. One seeking for height without corresponding width? Question mark. An arch which demanded no keystone and which lost nothing of its strength by excessive height gained. In fact, by being thus constricted, this would be the epic-making discovery, indeed, and thus the Gothic may have arisen, and in several countries at approximately the same period. To say that the idea was brought back from the East by the Crusaders is quite far-fetched, I'd say, as there was no Gothic in England until long after the First Crusade. The warriors of Europe were not of the type to assimilate the arts of the East, and they were on quite their own business. The Seljuk architecture of Turkey and Asia Minor had been cited as the prototype for the European Gothic, but this is so undeveloped in itself that independent origin is to be suspected. The Gothic style in England has been divided into periods and subdivisions by the same process of artificial segregation to which allusion has already been made. It may be convenient to mention this classification here, as it does mark the full development of each manner, from 1066 William I to 1154 Stephen. We have the Norman with its Romanesque circular-headed arch, from 1154 to 1189. We get the transition from the round to the pointed forms. From 1189, Richard I, to 1272, Henry III. And we have the so-called Early English, 
when geometrical tracery begins to appear. From 1272, which was Edward I, to 1307. And at this point, we find geometrical tracery absolutely without any free decorative forms. So then we go from 1307, Edward II, 1327, to the true early English or geometrical pointed style, with free forms appearing in tracery and in the, direct de the decoration of moldings. The period from 1327 to 1377 is that of the decorated or curvilinear, and from 1377, Richard II to 1399, of the transition from the decorated to the perpendicular, the latter persisting until about 1546, being then gradually submerged during the last 40 years of that time by the Italian classical style or Renaissance. It is difficult to find examples of woodwork prior to the decorated period. The great copies of the choir stalls at Winchester are highly exceptional. And furniture, that is anything worthy of the name, comes even later than that. The principles underlying Gothic construction in stone building are greatly abrogated in the case of woodwork. And in furniture, the style becomes mere decoration. The reasons for this are self-evident. The following explanation of the constructive principles of the Gothic apply, therefore almost entirely to building, but it is impossible to approach furniture and woodwork of the time without a proper appreciation of Gothic buildings to which the style properly belongs and was there first. Gothic ornament right up to the middle of the 14th century, if not later, is not only constructional, it is actually constructed ornament, that is, where the details of construction are given ornamental forms. In this, the Gothic is unique. The same may be said of no other style, before or even since. The sketches that I've seen on the metal sketches I've seen on tracery are of great importance to the student who desires to appreciate the spirit of the style itself. Tracery in windows does more than split up the glazed surface into panels. It actually strengthens the windows themselves. In this case, it is the ornamental construction. But being geometrical, not only does the tracery have a definite ornamental form, but what is more significant, looking out to the light from the darkened church, each panel or pane has a similar decorative shape, the form carefully studied. If we reverse the design, making the panels opaque, the tracery transparent, the result would be satisfactory whether viewed from within or without. So with the Renaissance, it is ornament which has the decorative value. With the early Gothic, it is a silhouette of the ornamental construction, as well as its form, which possesses equal importance. Very important point. The Gothic has already lost many of its early fine principles before woodwork even appears at all. So in any case, the constructive character of the ornament, which is an integral element of stone buildings, 
is absent in the woodwork, even in such examples as road, chancel, or par-closed screens. Here, tracery is merely decorative. The real construction of mutton, joist, or breast summer being masked behind carvings or disguised by other ornamentation. What is even worse, an appearance of false delicacy or inadequacy is often purposely given by piercing, tracery, crocketing, or pinnacled tabernacle work, as in Atherington. This, where the very charming is the end result, giving an effect of extraordinary richness of carving and design to the whole composition, is far removed from the fine principles of the early English or decorated Gothic of the 13th and 14th centuries. So although the Gothic in woodwork, and especially in furniture, ceases to be a constructional style, some understanding of the various periods with their leading characteristics is necessary. If one is to comprehend the various phases of the style itself. In addition, an understanding of the Gothic is to the utmost value in appreciating the English furniture styles which follow, right up to the 18th century. With compass and T-square only, to copy the examples that are so well known throughout England, this will teach more than a volume of explanation, a huge volume. It is impossible fully to appreciate the Gothic without learning how to draw it first. You really have to do this to understand. So in spite of the many divergences from the strict building canons in timber houses, roofs, screens, and furniture, there are certain details which are valuable indications of periods, and these couple with the knowledge of the progress of the woodworking trades at various stages, will present ignorant dating, as in the instance of the Burwatson standing cupboard, as we talked in our last episode. One must comprehend the guiding principles of the style itself in order to be able to classify much of the early woodwork in England. And these points can be better explained by illustrations and notes than by empirical statements in any text. In the early Gothic, at least, nothing is designed or executed in haphazard or freehand fashion. Everything is confined within strict rules. Every detail belongs to its style and its period, and this is true until almost the close of the 15th century, after which ornament becomes more free and sporadic. Of the post-dissolution, Gothic woodwork and furniture, there is little or nothing to be said. If it were for the fact that these debased examples have been accepted as the work of the Gothic in its full glory, by persons who should have known better, one could afford to ignore them entirely, both in style and constructive knowledge. The post-dissolution woodworker had become utterly depraved. The flower of the craft had turned to the new manner, the Renaissance. The glory of the Gothic had departed, and the new style from Italy, France, and the Low Countries had taken its place. A few words in explanation of terms um, or in order. 
The word tracery is quite self-explanatory. The uprights of the window are known as muttons. The cross rail, where such exits, is the transom. Where tracery is not constructed from molded muttons, straight or shaped, but it is cut out from the solid stone, it is known as plate tracery. The window from Carlton on Otmore is an example of this. Cusps are formed at the junction of two half circles. In some examples, they are solid. In others, they are pierced or open. Both styles with their <coughs> both styles with their dates. Cusping is rare in the early 13th century, but cusp have been found in Norman work, so it is dangerous and dog, uh, to dogmatize in this particular um, in the early English or the later Gothic. Cusping is abundant. The interlacing of circles in a Norman window producing a lancet headed light um, is, is in a castle in Sutton Courtney in Berkshire, which seems to suggest that the theory of the origin of the Gothic ventured here is not so wide of the fact. The great windows from Rollins in Northamptonshire is, not, is, is, is a notable uh, characteristic of the strictly geometric style without cusping at all. At the Chapter House at York, um, we have a geometrical tracery with cusp, but utterly without free forms. These appear in the rose window of St. Mary's in Sheltonham, with the curvilinear ribs still, however, produced with a compass. Cusping may also be observed. Is here the Parliament form of tracery ornamentation? Examples in which the arch head to windows is replaced by the square form, which is adopted later in the Tudor Gothic for domestic buildings, are to be found, occasionally, even as early as the 14th century at Dorchester. The last phase of the Gothic is the perpendicular, where in windows, the lower mullions are carried right through to the upper tracery, as the Swainbrook at Oxfordshire. These examples chosen for... Um, their natural beauty and, and artistic uh, geometry are typical of their time and style, and they are useful in showing each manner in the most representative fashion. There are others in which this, the several styles overlap, which illustrate two manners at the same time. But in view of the gradual evolution which took place, these are inevitable. The sketches... <coughs> These sketches, which were in again uh, engravings, should be sufficient, however, to give some idea of the development of the Gothic at various phases. And this is totally indispensable for the proper understanding of English woodwork and furniture in the Gothic times. So, um, hopefully, uh, everyone has learned a little bit about the Gothic development. Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out. Thank you so much for listening.